So I have a quick quote I want to um, say first. And um, close your eyes if you're comfortable and just take this in. Because it is about each and every one of us. The seat of the soul is where the inner world and the outer world meet. That soul within each of us. We all have it. And that's a quote from Joseph Campbell. So before I start the prayer, I will light the candle. There it represents the light in all of us. And when we allow our light to shine, everything and everyone around us is brighter. So again, close your eyes and just relax. And think of nothing but, hopefully, nothing but my voice and the words I say and take in what resonates with you. I know there is one, that one ultimate power in the universe. You can call it whatever you want. It is always present, always available. And each and every one of us, all of us, on this earth and beyond, are a part of that. A part, of, a part of that power, that universal mind, the spirit, the soul of the universe is us as us. Showing up in these human forms. And what a gift that is to be both human, wonderful, wonderful characteristics of our humanness and that soul, our essence, that is also us. Always, always available, always present, always available for us to light up and shine. And part of the question is, where is our soul? And even at times, what is it? It is us. It is in us as us. Some may feel it in our heart space. Some of us may feel it throughout our whole body. Some of us may even feel it as we think in our minds. It, it does not matter where it is, but just knowing that it is. And it is precious. And it is us. And the more we not just concentrate, but know that we are these soulful beings present on this earth, and when we live from that, the whole world lights up more. Our, our small world in our homes right now, but even the bigger. The bigger, every time we live from that soul space, that goodness, that kindness, that love space, we feel lifted and the world around us is lifted. Oh, just knowing that makes me feel lifted right now. So I'm so grateful for that, for knowing it, of each and every one of us present right here, right now, knowing the soul and seeing the souls that I can see on this Zoom. And the souls that I just know are present, even if not physically here right now, that surround all of us, that is us, and that we are all part of. 
So I'm so grateful for that. And I release this into the, the law. Knowing it is complete, it is done, it is the truth, the absolute truth, always, and it is always available. Ah, and together we say, and so it is. Mm, thank you. Power with our thought to change our life. That is what we are all about in this teaching. Ah, so good morning again. Hmm. We have a new month. It's the month of May. Welcome to it. Um, named for a goddess of fertility. And we'll be exploring uh, the theme of listening to our heart. Listen to your heart is our theme for this whole month. And today we're looking at um, the seat of the soul. The seat of the soul. And I want to start off with, with um, my definition of soul, so we kind of are on the same page. And, and I love the beautiful quote from, from Joseph Campbell that Marlisa used in that wonderful opening prayer. My definition is that the soul is the aspect of us that is spirit individualizing. The part of the aspect, the beingness of it that is spirit individualizing. It's not a part, it's the whole. And, you know, this whole week... Uh, Last week, I should say, Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, has been exploring the idea of liminal space, that space in between this and that. And the soul, to me, is a space that is both in between this and that and is this and that at the same time. It's both the human and the divine. It's the interface of the one, the infinite presence, expressing as body, emotions, and, intel and intelligence and intellect of the individual. It's the place where the divine becomes us. And so it clothes itself in emotions, in body, matter, in intellect, um, and becomes who we are. So it's our interface with the divine. It's a both and. It's not a one or the other. And the soul is eternal. The soul is what survives our physical death and then recloaks itself with a new body. So I want to play for a moment with an illustration. I'm going to do a share screen here if we can. Come back to that. Scroll over a couple. And this is called, uh, this is from our quick start class that, that I used to teach, and it's called the coach to everywhere. And you'll see the, the blue figure that's sitting inside of the coach represents the, our spirit, our soul, if you will. It's the master. And when we're working ideally, the, the little lightning bolt is it communicates to the intellect, which is a driver, the mind, our individualized mind, who then directs the horse, which is the emotions, along the path. And the coach stands for our body. And that when we're, when we're in an ideal relationship, when, when our intellect is listening, is taking the time to we listen to our, in, our intuition, listen to that soul within us we end up in a path that takes us to, as, as the little science says, heaven, which is a state of mind, not a place. When we don't listen to that, when the intellect wants to do things itself, uh, we get into trouble because it has a limited perspective. And if the emotions are running the show, well, there's no control, and, and we know how that works. But it goes this way or that way. We're pulled by our fight or flight or freeze response all over the place. If the body is taking it, the lead, then it's, it's running us up and down based on its physical survival needs and, and demands. 
So the question we want to ask ourselves is, who's in our driver's seat? Is it our soul? Is it our intuitive connection with spirit? Or is it some other aspect of our lives? Give me a moment to stop this sharing. Mm. So the Odyssey, the wonderful story by Homer, is a great story about the journey of the soul, about this connection with the soul. And and most of us are familiar with uh, the Odyssey. And Odysseus, who's a king, uh, represents our individualized self. But he falls into exile due to a long separation from his true home. In his, in his youth, if you will, he goes on a wonderful expedition, you know, becomes a hero uh, and, and that. But on the way back in his youthful uh, <clears throat> enthusiasm, let's say, uh, makes a mistake, keeps on going and tries to do more of what he's already completed. And so he falls into exile. He's, he takes what should have been a three-week journey, takes 20 years to get home. And so in the kingdom, the rightful king is not on his throne. And we see this theme in many, many, many uh, stories, in many, many heroes' myths. In, in the Ramayana, uh, the great Indian uh, classic, uh, Ram is, is a king who's right set of circumstances is, is uh, not allowed to take the throne, kicked off the throne and goes into exile. And this is a, a beautiful example for us because most of us at some point in time are in exile from our souls. We've experienced that. We call it a dark night of the soul, but often it's a dark night of the intellect by not being connected with the soul. Meanwhile, in the story of Odysseus, while the rightful king is not on his throne, and, and when the rightful king is not on, on his or her throne, not only does the king suffer, but the kingdom suffers. Both suffer. The life suffers as well as the individual. And so in his kingdom, the kingdom is being overrun by young men who are vying for his wife Penelope's affections. And these suitors represent all the distractions, many of which started in our youth, all the ways that we can be pulled and, 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 uh, and, and distracted, and our longing to relive that youth and all that stuff which keeps our soul which is represented by, by Penelope, Odysseus's wife, as a prisoner in its own home, in its own consciousness, if you will. And our soul, like in the story, can only be freed when, when our ego or when we have passed through trials and tribulations, a, a burning or a purification. We talked about this last week as we looked at, at the, uh, Ram, um, Ramadan, is the process of the burning or the purification uh, that happens. Uh, of the ego, of that which no longer belongs to our essence, our true authentic self. And in the story of, of, of Odysseus, the ego finally suffers the indignity of returning to his own kingdom as a beggar, which oftentimes we do. We have to return no longer thinking we're in charge of the world, but it's more of a, I'm humble, show me. I'm open, show me what I need to know. Right now in our world, we're going through a trial and tribulation period. In, in, it's what I've be, begin to, begun to call a world awakening event. You know, people are calling it a world health crisis and the coronavirus crisis. No, I'm, I'm calling it a world awakening event, uh, which is a more positive to me way of thinking about that. We talk about the ever-evolving nature of consciousness. We say the consciousness is always evolving, always growing greater. And we're going through a series of calls to awaken to let that consciousness that is moving 
constantly seeking expression to awaken through us. Uh, we're, we're, we're awakening to our souls and our interconnection with each other and with all of life. And right now, <laughs> it can feel as though we're experiencing the plagues of the Exodus, Exodus story, you know, for, for the nine or ten plagues that, that uh, God sent to, the, to uh, Pharaoh. There's a perspective in Jewish uh, theology that the plagues weren't intended for Pharaoh. They weren't intended to make Pharaoh uh, wake up or let them go, because oftentimes in the stories, Pharaoh is willing to let them go. And then it says, God hardened his heart, and he changes his mind. And so that says, ooh, wait, there's something else going on here. This isn't about Pharaoh. And the plagues were to awaken the Israelites, us, to our true nature, to their true nature, and their need for conscious connection with the divine, instead of living in the ever-worsening condition of their lives in Egypt, to which they were gradually adapting, even as it was getting worse. It's sort of like when you put a, a frog into a, a a pot of water. If you put it into a pot of boiling water, it'll jump right back out again. You know, as, as uh, theoretically, I haven't actually tried this myself, but this is what I'm told. But if you put it into a pot of cool water and just let it sit there and gradually bring up the heat, the frog adapts and adapts and adapts and doesn't notice until it's too late. And oftentimes we find situations in our lives where we've adapted and adapted. Maybe relationships, maybe jobs, maybe health situations until we realize that it's too late. So we're on a soul journey collectively. We're on a collective soul journey. And much like the story of the king who invites guests to the wedding of his son, he's got this wonderful wedding uh, for his son laid out, beautiful, you know, tons of food, wonderful music, all the celebration. And he sends the invitation out to the people, all his friends, all the people he would normally expect. But they all reject their invitations. They run off to their regular distractions. I've got a new cow. I've got a new business. I've got a new wife. I'm going to go, you know, spend time with that. And in one version, they even treat the servants, the messengers badly, uh, and, and in some cases kill them. And so the king finally invites just anybody. He says to his servants, go out to the crossroads and just grab anybody who wants to come. Bring them into the wedding, whether they're good or bad. We have an invitation right now. We are being invited to a wedding of consciousness. You know, I've been surprised. This is going to sound judgmental, and it is for just a moment, but I'm also going to recognize where it lives within me too. So I've been surprised to watch several of my minister and practitioner colleagues who would be what I would call the preferred guests at the wedding posting on Facebook that it's like, I've been binge watching, <laughs> bitch watching, that's interesting, binge watching this TV show and that TV show and the other TV show. And what do you suggest I binge watch next? And it, it feels like addicts running from bar to bar, which is the next bar to go to, which is the next drink or the next drug to have. And I watch my own paths of distraction for what I know is mine to do. I think it was Paul who said, well, it was Paul who said, that which is mine to do, I do not, and that which I should not do, I do. And so I find that within me. And all of us who are engaged in this kind of a process would have said, if you, ask, if you ask any of us wonderful ministers and practitioners prior to this World Awakening event, we would have said we wished for more time to just meditate and read and walk and do spiritual practice. We really wanted just more time to do it because we're so busy being ministers and, and with our lives. 
But it's like the recent Facebook meme that I saw that said that, that I used to think that if I had more time, I would clean and organize my house. But now that I have more time, I realize the time wasn't the issue. And so we come face to face with the ego that doesn't want to make this journey, this soul journey, this, this deepening into the soul, because it knows it's a journey of transformation. And egos don't do well with journeys of transformation. Michael Beckwith says a wonderful phrase that I love, a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. Hmm. We could also say a good day for the soul is a bad day for the ego. And so the ego knows it's on a journey of transformation and that the things that bring us satisfaction today are going to leave us and not return, that we will no longer find satisfaction in those things. We're like, um, we're like a five-year-old who's desperately clinging to its tricycle because it's familiar with its tricycle and it gives it the ability to ride to the end of the block and it's so wonderful and I don't want to let go of my tricycle. And yet the five-year-old self within us doesn't understand yet the freedom and the broader dimensions of travel of bicycles and of cars and of boats and of planes and all that we can move into if we'll just let go of tricycles but we cling because all we know is tricycles. We're on a deep retreat. We're on a collective deep retreat with an invitation to that soul to journey more thoroughly into soul awareness. Thomas Berry, who's an a, um, eco-theologian, says the universe is so amazing in its interrelatedness that it must have been dreamt into being. Our situation today on earth, or as an earth community, is so desperate. We are so far from knowing how to save ourselves from the ecological degradations that we are part of, that we must dream the way forward. We must summon from the unconscious, from our soul, we must summon from the unconscious ways of seeing that we know nothing of yet, visions that emerge from deeper within us than our conscious, rational minds. We can't solve our problems at the level of the intellect, which created them. Thomas Chord, a uh, powerful New Thought writer who was a great influence on our, our founder, Ernest Holmes, talks about that the universe creates by contemplation and is eventually created to the point that it has individualized points of contemplation, individualized points of consciousness that can consciously co-create this universe. And so we are being invited to dream a new dream, to contemplate a new, a new world, a new Jerusalem, a new earth, uh, however you want to call that. We are invited to that. And to travel this path, it's helpful to have a map, to travel this path of, of deepening with knowing the soul. It's good to have a map. And, and uh, Harry Moody in his book, The Five Stages of the Soul, provides one such map, and it's just one. Uh, but let's play with it for a moment. So it says that, that there are five stages of the soul. And these stages, which is a version of the hero's journey, are first, the call. There's a call from our soul. Something happens, something calls to us. The, the Hindu saint uh, teacher, Sri uh, Ramakrishna says, you hear the roar of the ocean from a distance. By following the roar, you can reach the ocean. As long as there is a roar, there must also be an ocean. And so that is the call. And so the second stage is the search. We go in search of that which is calling us. 
we go in search of a path or a process. If somebody's unmuted on this, could you make sure that everybody else is muted on the call? Thank you. There are, we go in search of this. The next stage, the third stage, is this, what's called the struggle or the effort in which we do our, which we do our duty or do we do the work to get to that stage. And the next stage, the fourth stage after that, is the breakthrough. Out of this struggle, out of this effort, out of this process of wrestling with the soul, just like Jacob wrestling with the angel finally gets a blessing, we get a breakthrough. We get something shifts, and, and we are lifted into a new consciousness. And then the final stage, the fifth stage, is known as the return. And that is we take this gift that we have gotten, this breakthrough that we've gotten, and we come back to the world, but with this new gift. In Zen, it's described as before enlightenment, we chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, we chop wood and carry water. And in the bulls of Zen, the, the person who starts off getting drunk in the marketplace with the, with the merchants, knowing that there's something else out there, knowing, you know, feels the call, answers the call, goes through this whole stage, and finally returns. And the final image of the bulls of Zen is shown as the person is back in the market getting drunk with the butchers. But he's changed. He has this beautiful smile on his face because he is transformed. And so these are the five stages of the soul. We're going to explore these stages in more detail later this month. From now, for now, just know that you're on, we are on a soul journey. And if we're going to go back to, to Penelope, uh, a Odysseus's wife as being the, the, the reminder of that soul, the, the imagination of that soul. I've learned something in all my marriages and in all my relationships that is easier and best to just say, yes, dear. And so when our soul calls us, it's best and easiest to just simply say, yes, dear soul, I am willing to go. To answer that call, to hear that roar of the ocean, and to go. So this week, I'm going to invite you into three spiritual practices. Three, one, two, three. The first one is to make the time to listen to your soul's call. Take the time to listen to your soul's call. And that time is more than just a five minutes of meditation. Take the time to go deeply into that and to say yes to that call. The second practice is notice where you might be on this journey. Notice where you might be on this journey. Are you just beginning to realize there is a call? Are you searching for how and where to express that call? Are you searching for the pathway to your soul? For what is it that will take me to really in a deep communion with the soul? This is often searching for a spiritual path. Are you engaged in the effort of the struggle of understanding and bringing that call to light? You know, in our teaching, we, we have classes that are the effort and the, and the struggle, if you will. There's homework and there's commitment to some weeks of it, and there's sometimes money involved in it. And all this stuff, are we willing to do that process? Are we willing to go for that? Nothing, nothing in our soul's journey comes without effort and without doing that struggle. Struggle doesn't necessarily mean uh, suffering, but the struggle, the 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 uh, getting out of the cocoon as the butterfly does. Are you in the fourth stage, perhaps, where you've broken through into a new experience of life? And then are you, or are you perhaps returning with greater wisdom to share? 
And we can be in different aspects of our soul's journey in different aspects of our lives, different places in our soul's journey. So that's the second practice is just notice where you might be on this journey. And the third practice is simply to contemplate the nature of the one. Always keep your eye on spirit. It's, it's to do what the Buddhists call take the one seat, to sit with spirit and let nothing distract us. And that spirit, that consciousness, is our North Star that will keep us true on our journey through this soul, through this soul's journey. That will have all these twists and turns, just like the journey of Odysseus had, all these twists and turns. And yet the North Star, for him, Penelope, the returning to his wife was the North Star. For us, that returning to a deeper awareness of God within, spirit within, is our North Star. So those are three spiritual practices, listening to the soul's call, noticing where we are on our journey, and contemplating the nature of spirit. Are we good with that? If so, have a thumb up. Yes, a couple thumbs up. Great, thank you. I want to close uh, with a Sufi story, actually. And the Sufi story says that there was this king of the, of the, the uh, kingdom of Balkh. Uh, and Balkh is a, an actual place in what is today Afghanistan. And one day he was sitting on his throne when he heard a noise above him. And he calls out above him on the roof. And he's calling out, who's there? And the answer comes back, it's my camel making all this noise. And the king kind of takes that in for a moment and he goes, how can a camel be on my roof? And the reply comes back, how is, it, how, how, can it, how is it possible for a man who wishes to know God to just be sitting on his throne? And it says that the king the next day renounced his kingdom and went out in pursuit of his soul call. Our throne is our place of comfort. Our throne is our place where we believe we're in charge. Can we let go of that place where we believe we're in charge? and go out on our soul's journey. We're gonna close with an affirmation here. Give me a moment. And so join me in this affirmation. I say yes to the world awakening event. I say yes to the call. I say yes to the call of my soul to see and be more than I ever knew was possible. I say yes to the love, wisdom, and power down in my soul. Let's say it together one more time. I say yes to the world awakening event. I say yes to the call of my soul to see and be more than I ever knew was possible. I say yes to the love, wisdom, and power down in my soul. <laughs>